Backup and recovery are two mainstay processes of many business continuity strategies, regardless of the size of the business or in the industry that you are in. While the principles have not really changed much since the 1960s, technologies around media and coding, encryption, and decryption technologies have and do continue to evolve. Arguably, the real developments around backup and recovery are around the pressures businesses must face, whether it is in the need to compete globally, the interdependence of businesses today with partners and suppliers, or regulatory pressures to protect information, especially customer data, to name a few. In today's podcast for Future CIO, we are joined by Charles Chow, Director of Sales Engineering for Commvault, to talk about backup and recovery in the era of the hybrid IT. Charles, welcome to Podcast for Future CIO. Hey, Alan. Thanks for having me. How has backup and recovery changed? That's an actually interesting question. Much like how the world is grappling with the health crisis now, uh, the digital ecosystem is also facing one of its biggest threat to cyber hygiene, if you like. We have seen and relatively convinced that, you know, even the strongest defense that can be breached. But fundamentally, I don't actually necessarily think data protection or backup has changed drastically pre-COVID compared to today. But having said that, there is certainly a newfound appreciation of what data protection solutions can provide today more than ever. So backup and data protection is certainly not exciting no matter how you put it. And I, I think historically, I don't think it has ever been exciting. But the amount of press, the cyber attack space and ransomware discussions we have had in recent time have gotten enterprises taking a second look uh, at their overall data protection strategy, which of course includes backup. So aside from that, there's also the evolving landscape of workloads in our organizations today. It's not necessarily something we didn't see happening or you know envision happening, but the rapid expansion and complexity that cuts across, say, traditional data centers, uh, hyperscale, Scalers, containers, uh, SaaS-based type workloads and endpoints also mean that enterprises don't just have a single data source to protect, but multiple data sources. And these also coupled with the ever-growing uh, net new workloads and geographically dispersed data sources to consider as part of a larger data protection strategy. So many customers are also realizing that the approach to, you know, historically just protect everything and anything isn't quite as applicable today as it was years ago. Uh, I'm also sure you realize this, uh, and it might sound cliche, that uh, backup vendors of yesterday years, us included in some sense, now also rebranding and coming out and calling ourselves data management solution providers. This is because in today's context, managing data intelligently is often part of a larger strategy to protecting your data. So essentially, you need to be very intimate with your data to know how best to protect it. Uh, You alluded to the different locations for which data is stored. And how does Mm -hmm. this affect existing backup and recovery strategies? And for some industries where you have evolving regulatory environments and frameworks around data protection, how does it impact the the role of uh, the CIO and his team in terms of making sure that they comply with such evolving regulations? So the proliferation of cloud also certainly means a new approach and strategy to backup is necessary. No matter what the business needs is, data management protection um, needs to be streamlined efficiently regardless. So as we kind of briefly discussed, it's not uncommon for enterprises today or even small or medium enterprises for that matter to have workloads cutting across multiple platforms. Just to think of the common use cases of Office 365, which obviously is a SaaS platform. And then if you ran Salesforce for CRM, that's again another SaaS platform. And you know your usual remote workforce, branch offices, or if you're running services on Azure or AWS, and of course, workloads on-prem, it's really a vast amount of data sets 
uh, that cuts across various platforms that we need to be considering. So what's increasingly important to understand as well is this. The data residing on disparate platforms aren't necessarily living in isolation. They are likely very interrelated and dependent on each other. So for example, there may be a payment system on-premise linked to a customer details on Salesforce, which in turn linked to product and services on AWS. And because of this dependency, there's a growing need to protect and manage all this in a very consistent manner. But what we are noticing and seeing through our conversations with many of our customers is often that they have to use multiple tools to protect this information. And also, it's very trying very, very hard to make existing tools do jobs that it wasn't necessarily built to do. So it's a classic square peg in round hole kind of scenario. Uh, So to your point on governance and compliance, governance and compliance is interesting because it's slowly being adopted in more mature markets in the region, for example, Singapore, with the growing needs in Singapore, particularly for PDPA and GDPR regulations adopted as guidelines across the region, uh, enterprises are becoming increasingly concerned about the capability they have to comply to these regulations. For example, just a quick one, according to the guidelines, if an individual were to ask an organization to say, hey, provide all the information they have with regards to him or her, they are obliged to produce this information in a very, very short amount of time. And if requested, they could also be asked to, hey, I want you to go and remove all this information from the back end of all your systems. So the question really is how many organizations and enterprises today can confidently comply to this request? My guess is not too many. So historically, all these areas of governance and compliance of data falls in the very gray area of no man's land when it comes to responsibility. But uh, I think it's becoming increasingly accepted that data management solutions or vendors like ourselves will be best fitted to address this uh, moving forward. Considering the evolving or escalating cybersecurity risks, we, we saw that especially last year. How should CIOs and CISOs work to protect the, enter- the enterprise against uh, these threats? And where does backup and recovery fit into this picture? It's crucial for companies to have a strategic data protection and recovery plan if they want to be successful in today's business environment. I I think we are all very well aware of that. And this includes the increasingly sophisticated cyber attacks and threats that's out in the market and the open area, right? You know, it's very important that CIOs and CISOs have a mentality of when rather than if they do get attacked. I I mean, I spoke about this before in the past where, hey, you know, it's not a matter of question of if you ever get attacked anymore. It's like, hey, if you do get attacked, how do you then recover from it? So from the various conversations we've had with some of customers as well, we're gradually seeing the shift towards a discussion of recoverability of data and last line of defenses. It's not to say that the frontline security of defenses like those provided by traditional firewalls or threat hunting capabilities are no longer important or relevant, but it's also very clear that there is no silver bullet when it comes to protecting against cyber attacks or cyber criminals. It's really an end-to-end strategy. So at Convault specifically, uh, we advocate a layered approach to data protection. And this approach does not necessarily just apply to our stack, but the framework that we share with our customers can also be applied and adapted to other parts of the enterprise. You mentioned layered approach. As soon as you mentioned that, I started thinking about the other popular topic of discussion around data protection these days, zero trust. How do you combine the two? How's the relationship in zero trust Uh, and backup and recovery? It's the slight overlap. Okay, so zero trust essentially, like the, the term suggests, you know, there's no trust with anything. So how we overlap in some ways is, you know, say for example, authentication and also uh, user access. We sometimes consult our customers to say, hey, if you really want to take the zero trust approach in your environment, you can potentially disconnect whatever you do, say, for example, from a data protection standpoint and not have it linked to, you know, whatever you do on a production basis. When I say that, essentially what we're building is a very air gap environment. When you have that, 
the protected data is completely isolated. You know, think of it as you you put a, your valuables in a safe, right? And then you be it a safe at home. Uh, obviously, not ideal if your house burns down. But uh, if you put um, whatever your valuables in a safe at a bank, you are technically a lot more better off than you know having it at home. So it's a similar concept in, in some form or shape. Going back to the area of backup and recovery uh, mm-hmm. and looking at 2022, what new technologies or practices can we expect? And I'd like you to look at it from three areas. One is continuous data protection. The other one is SaaS because we spoke about a lot of applications now being SaaS-based. And of course, data tiering. Okay. When it comes to these three topics that you just mentioned, uh, tiering, SaaS, and continuous data protection, I'll address continuous data protection first. So interestingly enough, continuous data protection is not necessarily something that is new. Uh, it's actually been a, in the industry and the market a long, long time. But for whatever reason, it's not taken flight in a very, very big way. I think it has to do a lot with the fact that it was, you know, that cable was de- delivered very, very much early years ago when people don't necessarily needed it. And it was actually very resource hungry. And uh, when you talk about the next point, data tiering. So data tiering is interesting because uh, again, it's not necessarily new and it's somewhat passe, if I would like to put it, because data tiering is something that a lot of the customers and enterprises are uh, implementing in their environment in some form or so today, I, I think, you know, what you touch on says, I'll, I'll touch it in a bit. I actually have um, three points of my own that I feel that is what we potentially would see more prominent in 2022. So first and foremost, it's actually in the area of multi-cloud data management and mobility. I mean, we touched about on this a little bit earlier in our discussion as to how enterprises are consuming data across various platforms, right? So there is genuinely a need to federate the management of all these data sources today. If you're not doing it in 2022, I'm certain that there is a plan to do it in the following year or the next year possibly, right? The angle is not just about having consistent and robust data protection plan that is workload-centric, uh, regardless of where it resides, like we discussed, right? SaaS, on-premise, uh, hyperscalers, etc. But it's also about ensuring workload mobility is not compromised as part of that consolidation. I know we didn't talk too much about mobility this time, uh, perhaps uh, a topic for our next chat, but certainly there's a real need to natively be able to move workloads, say on-premise to an AWS natively, or at some point between clouds, right? AWS to Azure, et cetera, et cetera, with limited interruptions. And customers are looking at how data management vendors can help facilitate that. So that's in the topic of multi-cloud data management mobility. So the next point, it's likely going to be very prominent in 2022. It's ex- expansion of the data tiering capability you just mentioned. So it, this is in the area of air gapping of protected data. I know we kind of touched on this briefly. So air gapping in a very simplistic form, it's really replicating data or backed up data to a remote location. And we all know this is not a new concept in any way. Having said that, the transition of workloads to the cloud and the traditional costs involved in replicating data historically meant that the companies are now looking at alternatives. Uh, Not to mention, actually, data replication has barely changed uh, in many years. So what's driving this new air gap solution, you might ask? Cyber attacks. These days, when we talk disaster, we are no longer talking about floods or fires or data centers burning down. We are talking about cyber attacks. So not only do you need to have copies located far away from your primary data source, it has to be built with new capabilities to repel this next generation threats or disasters, so to speak. So some of the stuff that we do at Commvault, we have actually built very advanced air gapping automation on top of the data replication. So to cater for this evolving use case, they are getting a lot of requests from lately. 
And lastly, uh, the topic that you mentioned, SaaS-based service. So as the service trends continue and it's no longer a fad, I think all of us can acknowledge that. C-levels are convinced that the utility model is the way to go forward. And often they are looking at the next thing in their enterprise or data center they can consume as a service. So the next wave is actually backup as a service. So backup as a service makes a lot of sense given the complexity and costs that are often associated with backups. Work from home arrangements are also the norm, as we all know, in the foreseeable future. And what this means to many enterprises is this. Data sources are now all beyond the boundaries of your data center. Historically, endpoints are often seen as the weakest link pre-COVID. Now your data sources are likely sitting on this so-called weak links and you're not coming to the office anytime soon. So yes, there's a massive requirement by many to roll out data protection strategies that cover all these endpoints as quickly as possible. And because the whole premise of a backup as a service offering does not require any setups, we have worked with a lot of customers. For example, we help this customer protect 20,000 endpoints across the globe in just a matter of hours. And this was previously unheard of and unattainable. So we are also very fortunate to be one of the pioneers in the backup as a service space, but I'm sure you will see many follow suit very shortly. These days, who typically is responsible for data backup and recovery? Gone are those days where you have dedicated backup admins, so to speak. I think this is a very, very interesting question. So just not too long ago, when there was still what we call storage administrators, it was storage administrators taking over you know, backup and recovery roles as well because uh, storage and data were very closely interrelated. But I think in more recent time, there's no such demarcation. I think as much as we are consolidated you know, from a role perspective, uh, likewise in the enterprise, there is actually now a demarcation more from on-premise teams and cloud teams at times because uh, so you kind of storage administrators and backup administrators so to speak kind of merged into one role and now they're doing systems as well and oftentimes like I said you know it's a demarcation between where the workload may or may not reside what would be your advice for CIOs and the IT team in terms of how they should approach backup and recovery in the era of where everything is connected and most of our data or even our applications basically living in hybrid environments desktop laptops servers, uh, your, your device, as well as in the cloud, some provider out there. Oh, and also APIs. As we all know, data protection, backups, uh, however the term you want to use. And I mean, have been around since the beginning of time and it's very steeped in legacy, right? Enterprises are still apprehensive when it comes to, you know, changing or re-evaluating this data protection strategy. And part because, you know, it's very sticky, it's very challenging to revamp. But at the same time, like mentioned, there's just too many legacy bits and bobs to it. Unfortunately, this narrative is not lost to the cyber attackers as well, right? And they specifically capitalize on this laggard mentality. They have even gone out to the limb to make a public announcement that they are now specifically going after your backups. I mean, you can Google this, right? Because they are interested in causing you permanent data loss and of no chance of recovery. You know, that whole little niggly that, hey, you know, I kind of encrypt your data and then you can get it back at a later stage. You know what? They're not interested. They, they want you to lose data. So there's a real risk to it. So if there's any last words for anybody listening in, I truly urge that all enterprises look and reevaluate their backup data management strategy moving forward regardless of how painful it is because the workload and threat landscape has changed and you know certainly is not the same as how we looked at it even as recent as four or five years ago and this is indeed the uh, perfect time to plan for the future charles thank you for joining me on podcasts for future cio thanks alan that was charles chow director of sales engineering at Commvault, speaking to us on the topic of backup and recovery in the era of the hybrid it you are listening into Podcast for Future CIO. As always, if you have a topic you'd like us to cover on this channel, simply email us at editors at society.com. We'd also like to invite you to sign up for a free weekly newsletter so you won't miss an episode of Podcast for Future CIO. 
In the meantime, stay safe, have a great day, and see you on the next episode of Podchats for Future CIO. Bye for now. Thank you.